Let me invite you now to stand for our scripture reading. It's from Isaiah 53. So Isaiah 53, and we together have been in a series on this magnificent chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah 53 for uh, Easter. And in Isaiah 53, we'll look at the very end. We come to the end of the chapter, verses 11 and 12 this morning, to think about the greatness of Christ, all that this prophecy was 700 years before he came and was incarnate. And so we celebrate the accuracy, yes, but we celebrate the magnificence of our Savior today. So Isaiah 53, and I'll read to you verses 11 and 12, hear God's word. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we ask now that your Holy Spirit would lead and guide all of us in your truth, that we would revel in what it means to be a Christian and to celebrate. And then for those who aren't Christians yet, we pray, would you push them, press on them, give comfort, but give confrontation too, that we together would acknowledge your greatness and your glory and the exaltation of our Savior, we ask. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Last year in Queensland, Australia, and I don't know if these things only happen in Australia, a dad bought his daughter a bag of Dorito chips. That's not the rare thing that happened, but evidently, while she's eating, teenage daughter is eating this bag of Dorito chips. It's nothing gross, okay? Don't go there yet. She finds a rare, kids, I have a picture if you want to see it. She finds a rare, puffy Dorito chip. You've probably eaten enough Doritos, you know, they're not really puffy, but she found one. And she goes out on social media and she says, well, what shall I do with it? This rare chip, what shall I do with it? Should I eat it? And somebody suggested, sell it. Sell this puffy Dorito chip. So she puts it on an online auction for 99 cents, starts it at 99 cents, and turns out an executive in marketing from Doritos sees this Puffy Doritos chip and offers $20,000 for this chip. And they said, we just wanted to reward your entrepreneurial spirit, and I'm sure it was $20,000 of free advertising. But they bought this chip, and I'm telling you this story because our world and society has a weird way of assigning value, does it not? I mean, think about it for a moment. The most well-paid people in our society play children's games. And our children, the future generation, 
is left to those who are underpaid, who could be paid more, our teachers. And I'm not mentioning football, by the way, just basketball and baseball. We're going to leave football alone. But we have a weird way, a messed up way, in fact, of assigning value. What kind of world are we living in where a puffy chip is worth $20,000? And that weird way of assigning value, that happens on lots more important things. Namely, on the atoning death and the resurrection of our Savior. Many people dismiss what happened at the first Easter and they have what we could say, either they ignore God, deny His existence, but we would call this having a low Christology. Follow me for a moment. Christology is that area of theology that has to do with Christ and His ministry and what He accomplished on the cross and at the empty tomb. If you have a low Christology, if you don't make much of Jesus... Easter is no big deal. If you don't make much of eternal salvation in the righteousness of Christ imparted to us, imputed to us by faith alone, if you don't make much of that, it's following this weird way in society of assigning value to the wrong things. What I'm getting at here is very simple. Jesus is everything everything to us as a church. If you're part of this church or if you're just visiting, first thing you should know about us, Jesus is everything. Lord, Savior, forgiveness for sins, absolutely. And everything wrong in this world will be made right one day. That's why we make much of Jesus here. He is our everything. And this passage ends this magnificent, really the high point of Isaiah. In Isaiah 53, ends by making much of Jesus. So we're going to make much of Jesus this morning. And we'll make much of Jesus by looking in depth at verses 11 and 12 and seeing how Jesus' ministry leads him to be exalted, how he must be exalted throughout the universe, and especially in our own lives. So the first thing I'm going to show you is the success of the Savior. There's an outline in your bulletin if you want to follow along. The success of the Savior in achieving salvation is seen really in the first part of verse 11. We read there, out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. We might miss it. That might not make sense to you if you've been immersed in the scripture, though, we can unpack that out of the anguish of his soul. In other words, this speaks to the suffering of Christ on the cross. We understand that Jesus made vicarious, we call it atonement. Well, what does that mean? That is a big word. What it means is that Christ paid the penalty for our sins. We read at the end of verse 5 in Isaiah 53, with his wounds we are healed. Well, what does that mean? The wrath of God due to us for sin because God is per perfectly just fell on Christ instead of us, and yes, we celebrate that. And so, out of the anguish of his soul, this suffering, and the reference there to Jesus' soul would be a reference to 
most fully his being and who he is, we read in verse 11, he shall see and be satisfied. So to say he will see is a way of communicating that he will see it through. See what through? Our salvation and the atonement he makes. He will see it. It will be on display. In verse 11, he will be satisfied. He will be satisfied harkens back to the garden, Genesis chapter 1, where God created. And after he created in each of the days set forth there in Genesis 1, what did God do? He declares it good. Likewise, Christ accomplishes salvation and then sees that it is good. He is satisfied with it. He is content with it. And so my encouragement to you as we look at the Savior's success is that we should have the highest Christology, that we together should make much of what Christ has done regardless of the response of the world or the way that we see people conducting themselves. When you think about who Christ is, our society has a lot of messed up answers with reference to that. One of those messed up answers is our society will say. It's sort of a compromise. Those of us who say Jesus is everything, our world and society and culture kind of throws us a bone, so to speak, and says, well, Jesus, he's not everything, but he's a good teacher. He's a good teacher. Well, no doubt. Jesus is a good teacher, and he who taught that he is the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to the Father, if you don't accept that, how can you say he's a good teacher? Because you are denying that which he taught. So Jesus is a good teacher, yes, but that doesn't go far enough, does it? You've got to go all the way with Jesus. You've got to say not just a good teacher. You've got to say, Lord and Savior. Well, not only does our world say that Jesus is a good teacher, sometimes you might run into, especially kind of that new agey type thing, where Jesus, we're not going to call him a good teacher, but we'll, we'll say he's some kind of guru or mystical personality. Again, we who are in Christ, we who have made him our Lord and Savior, we can't be satisfied with that. He is more than good teacher. He is more than a guru. He is more than all those things. He is our Savior and Lord. My encouragement to you on this Easter, do not have anything to do with these deficient views of Christ. No matter how much our world assigns inadequate value to him, Make him everything in your life. You will not regret that. For all of eternity, make him everything in your life and have nothing to do with this deficient Christology that calls him only a prophet, only a good teacher, or only a guru. So the Savior's success, we see that. Why should we make Christ everything? Because he has seen and is satisfied in the redemption he has accomplished. But also, we go on, another reason why we celebrate and exalt Christ here is the Savior's justification. Now, I'm using a big theological word there, justification, but you see it here in this passage. 
We read this, look in verse 11, by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Well, what, what, what does this mean here? By his knowledge, now remember the scripture doesn't have this intellectual idea of knowledge that triumphs in sort of the Western mind. Instead, knowledge is relational, to know someone. And this is what is being spoken about. It's because of this relationship that Jesus has with his followers, the righteous one, my servant, and here's justification, will make many to be accounted righteous. Make many to be accounted righteous. What does this mean? This means in the spiritual and celestial courtrooms, so to speak, we are guilty. That's sin. Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. That's straight out of our catechism. It's bad attitudes and bad actions which don't please God. Because of that sin, God must punish it. However, what Christ does is he satisfies that punishment But not just that, he declares us righteous, many to be accounted righteous. Think about it for a moment in our own world. If someone is acquitted, what do we do? I don't know about you, but I am that cynical. I'm always like, well, yeah, you're acquitted, but you probably did it anyway. (laughs) That isn't the case for the Christian. Christianity is more than being forgiven. It is being accounted righteous. When God looks at us, He is not angry. He is not wrathful. If you have hidden your life in Christ by faith alone, when God looks at you, He sees not your sin. He sees the righteousness of the Son. We are accounted righteous. We are reconciled to God. The relationship, he is at enmity with us because we are sinners. His wrath aimed for us fell on Christ. And we are more than just forgiven. You see, Christianity is not just escaping from hell if, because we're forgiven. Yes, that's true, and it is awesome, but it's not enough. That's a truncated view of Christianity. Christianity is not only are you forgiven but you are declared righteous. You are right with God. Christ has achieved and accomplished that. Make many to be accounted righteous. What is the instrumentality of this? How does he achieve this? He shall bear their iniquities. Our sin, born by the Savior, thus our relationship made right with God. Such that we have a new identity, don't we? We were those who were outside, And by faith alone, we are now those who are inside, and we have this new identity that has been given to us. And notice here, because we have a lot of confusion about identity in our society, and identity is not found on the inside. For the Christian, it is an identity which is given to us as righteous people. I'll tell you a story about identity. In 2007... My wife, Tracy, and I were going to catch a flight. We were going to fly, and you know, the night before, we're checking in online, and checking in online, I noticed I could could check her in, you know, whoo, she got the A group, and I'm 
we were excited about that. I go to check myself in, and it says, see ticketing agent. And I tried it again, see ticketing agent. And I thought, ah, what's going on? No, I'm going to be relegated to group C. What is going to happen? So we go to the airport. Finally, I can't get this thing to print. So I go to the airport. We see the ticketing agent. She said, let me see your driver's license. I give her my driver's license. She types something in. Then she looks at me <laughs> suspiciously. She calls over her supervisor. They both kind of point at the computer, and they again look at me suspiciously. Well, it turns out, and eventually I kind of talked them into letting me get on the plane, but as it turns out, Okay, my last name, Taha, is an Arab last name. It's an Islamic last name, in fact. The 20th chapter of the Quran is called Taha. And that's my last name, and that's my relatives. And either a relative of mine had done something they shouldn't have, or somebody traveled somewhere, or somebody had a similar name as mine, and I had made the naughty list the TSA naughty list. And so had the same trouble coming back home from that flight, and then I started to do some research. Okay, look, I, you know, I'm not a bad guy, not that bad at least, and I need to get off of this list. And it turns out Homeland Security, you have to apply for this number that they give you. And I still have it to this day, and every time I book a Airline ticket, I have to put in that number, believe it or not. And it gave me a new identity. It gave me the identity of not a bad guy. And likewise, Christ gives us a new identity in the gospel. The gospel, which does declare that we are forgiven, doesn't stop there. The gospel conveys to us through the righteousness of Christ... We go from saved sinner to righteous, righteous before God. And this new identity is not something we conjure up within ourselves, but it is given to us freely through Christ. This is the Savior's justification to be accounted righteous. And it's one reason why Jesus is everything to us, not just forgiven justified, declared righteous. It's why we exalt Him. And not only do we exalt because of the Savior's justification, His success in achieving salvation, but likewise, we celebrate the Savior's reward. The Savior's reward is in verse 12. Listen to how good Christians have it, how good we have it. We don't usually talk that way, do we? Verse 12, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. And the spoil is a key word in Isaiah. It's the reward that you get. It's what you get after the warfare has finished. You get the spoil. And you might recall, Isaiah, is one of his sons, even has spoil in his name there. We meet him in chapter 8. But the idea here in verse 12 is that the Savior gets this reward 
through perfect obedience of what the Father sent him to do, and the reward he has won, he shares with us. He gives us and divides with us the spoil he has won. He is our champion. He wins the battle. We don't. And then he gives us the reward. And you might think for a moment, yes, the reward in heaven. Absolutely. But that's not enough. These rewards are the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And I'm going to enumerate a few of those for you. The spiritual blessings we have in Christ are this reward that Christ has won for us and given to us. The first one is we have no fear. We have no fear of death, no fear of punishment anymore because of what Christ has done. That's one of the spiritual blessings we have, the reward we have because of Christ. We have assurance of God's love. He will never leave us or forsake us. His promises are always amen and yes in Jesus. We have this wonderful assurance. We have comfort. Comfort. I know it's a city close to here. But the comfort that God gives us in the trials and the temptations and the hardships that we face, that he is working all things for our good, we have that assurance, Romans 8, 28. We have peace with God. If you have the most important relationship in your life and existence is at peace, that carries over to other relationships as well. What about the prayers that we have that are answered. This is part of the reward that we have. So it's not just no fear, assurance, comfort, peace, prayers answered. What about protection? People are very much into safety these days in our society. And let me tell you, we have safety that lasts past our death in Christ. We have adoption into the forever family. We have joy beyond any imagination. We have growth in our faith. We have trust. We have holiness. We have perseverance. God will carry us all the way to the end, and one day he will glorify us, and we will be perfect as our Savior is. And so these are the benefits we have, the benefits that Christ divides with us. Now let me ask you this. When we get together with our friends, or maybe even at Easter dinner in a few minutes, I know you're getting hungry, I am too, and it's the Doritos' fault, but think about it for a moment. When you get together with your friends or your loved ones, the new national pastime is to complain and point out what's wrong in the world. Have you experienced this? I don't know if they have a league for it, but I'm thinking about going pro. <laughs> I am very adept, as probably you are, at pointing out what's wrong in the world, why, what the solution is, and I caught myself doing it a couple weeks ago and just really kind of taken with it. I said, I have got to stop. I'm driving myself crazy, let alone everybody around me. Here's the deal. What if, instead of that new national pastime of complaining about the world, everything wrong in it, all-you-can-eat crazy buffet, and the knuckleheads running this country, instead of all that, 
what if we got together and rehearsed the benefits of salvation that we have? I know it sounds a little corny, but think about it for a moment. To treasure this reward that Christ has won for us and to celebrate that. Sometimes if you're a semi-pro complainer, what really loses sight is these spiritual blessings that Christ has won for us. Let's make much of those and not much of our crazy cultural moments. So the Savior's reward, these are some of the benefits that Christ has given to us. Let us rehearse those to each other. Let us remember those with great detail and not just the offenses that are happening in our world. So we're talking about the exalted Savior. This is why we make much of Christ. One reason we make much of Christ, He divides the spoil with us. And then at the end of verse 12, you get four verb phrases which celebrate and exalt Christ that show His final and forever triumph. You see, Isaiah 53 really begins in chapter 52, verse 13. And in chapter 52, verse 13, we read this, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. This is where all of history is headed. Christ will be exalted and there's nothing anyone can do to stop it. And we might say that Isaiah 53 and everything that follows Isaiah 52, 13, all the way to Isaiah 53, 12, is a recounting of why Christ should be exalted, must be exalted. And really the exclamation points at the end of verse 12. These four phrases which summarize all of Christ's ministry. And we read in verse 12, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. First, Christ should be exalted because he poured out his soul to death. He died the death that we deserve. He took on that punishment for our sins. He was numbered with the transgressors. I mean, let us not forget the insult and humiliation to be counted as a criminal and hung on a cross between two criminals. He willingly took on that shame for us. He bore the sin of many. Jesus bore our sins. He became associated with our sins, yet was without sin in order to make atonement for them. And he makes intercession for the transgressors. And that last phrase, making intercession for the transgressors, is the explanation of how Christ has interceded. He has come between the wrath of God and sinners like us. We deserve that wrath, but Christ has interceded. He has come between. It also speaks to the fact that Christ prays for his followers and intercedes for us. You know, years ago, I volunteered on the Bernie Fire Department, and the burn ban was just lifted in Kendall County, if you don't know that, so you can go home and burn burn your piles up. 
But one, one Sunday, kind of around noon, we got a call, and what had happened was a couple had burned a pile on Saturday. They had burned a big pile, and, you know, it was stacked up with ashes, and they went to church or went to brunch, and then they came back, their pasture was on fire. Well, what happened? Well, the wind blew, as it sometimes does. We get that prevailing afternoon wind, and it blew on that ash heap, and it rekindled, it reignited the fire again. Deep within those ashes were a few embers, and they just needed a fresh wind to come in and ignite things again. Fortunately, we put it out, no damage done except a field burned up. But I want to tell you, if you don't think Jesus is great, if you don't reflect that in your life, then you have missed the point of Easter. It's a call for us to really receive the fresh wind of the Holy Spirit into our life that these truths about what Christ did and accomplished would be foremost and central in our minds and our hearts, and that we would see the fire in our own heart rekindled, and that it would burn brightly because of all our Savior has done for us. Well, what has He done for us? We've seen He has succeeded in accomplishing salvation for us. He has not just succeeded in giving us salvation and forgiveness. He has justified us. Then the reward he earned, he generously shares that with us, and we experience that through the spiritual blessings we have in him. And he triumphs. Oh, make no mistake. If you believe in Jesus Christ, no matter how dark things get in your life or in this world, we are on the triumphant side. And we celebrate that. And we make much of Jesus and we exalt him today because of it. Let's pray together. Lord, how we ask that indeed you would fan into flame yet again our faith, our dependency upon you, that we together would rightly reflect the joy and wonder of what it is, yes, to be forgiven, but to be justified and to enjoy the wonderful rewards we have in Christ, and the triumph of His holy name. Rekindle our faith. Today we pray in Christ's name.